right. So as we kind of transition over towards our message portion today, um, it is good to see so many of you here today and hope that your week went well and you got to be outside for a couple of those warm days that we had this week. But boy, it gets cold in a hurry with that wind, I tell you. It's a tough change. But we come today, the second week of Advent, uh, celebrating the coming of our Savior. Last week we talked about hope and we connected that to thankfulness in terms of an attitude, uh, in terms of how we're approaching things with God. And I'm hoping to make some similar connections for us today as we talk about peace. Again, as we have... Similar messages or similar themes throughout the years, it gets kind of difficult to understand what I've said before, what I haven't, what we've studied, and so forth and so on. You know, when we're studying these types of themes, uh, you know, we think about English and the language and understanding terms and, and understanding that there could be multiple meanings for different terms. And when you think of peace, that could be a good starter. You know, where does your mind automatically go to when we talk about peace? You know, we've had, um, you know, because when we think about what, what is on our mind and how we're understanding it, we can sway how we're hearing a message, how we can direct that in our minds based on our presuppositions, based on what we're bringing in to the passage or the text. You know, when we think about the term peace, we could have the beauty pageant answer of world peace and thinking about peace in that direction. We can think about um, peace in terms of the different symbols, the peace sign, the olive branch, the dove, and the different forms of peace that are symbolized throughout our lives. We could be thinking about a state of tranquility, you know, where uh, there's a lack of busyness, there's a lack of noise going on, and you just have this state of peace. Or you could be thinking in terms of the theological understandings and what it means to have peace with God. Now, I think it's important to address many of these types of understandings because they each have an impact in our life. You know, and as we're in the Advent season, we want to understand how the coming of Jesus brings peace for the world. And honestly, uh, it was one of the more challenging messages that I've put together in a while because there's so many different passages to go through. You know, you weigh what you've talked about in the past and you begin to, to study some of these passages and you look at the context and you begin to weigh what the context says in each passage to determine how it connects to Jesus and how he brings us peace and it can get overwhelming, especially as you are trying to articulate a, a decent study on the term or on the, the topic of at hand. You know, when you do a, a word study in the Bible, Sometimes you, you have these, uh, you realize how often that term is used in different contexts, in different ways. Um, so when, you, when you're going through a message like we are today, you know, you take a general understanding and you try to, to zero it in a little bit. And today for our message time, what I would like to do is to kind of take a tour through the scriptures with you where we're gonna be going through a lot of different passages to show the consistency of how God is our peace. How he establishes peace through the covenant that is made through the person of Jesus Christ. So because we're gonna be all over the Bible today, there's not gonna be one main passage that we're gonna focus on. We'll try our best to move through in a methodical way um, to give us an overall understanding of peace. 
when it comes to God. So again, when you are studying a word in the Bible and you're trying to find meaning within what that word brings out, to find depth within that word, um, it's kind of a, a more correct approach is by not starting with a basic meaning or a least common denominator type of meaning because that's kind of how you form different presuppositions. That's how you bring things into the text when you're starting like that. Rather, you wanna specifically go and understand the context of how that word is being used in the certain passages. You then can compile that, a greater understanding of what, how the word is used in the Bible to help give you a better understanding. You know, we went through some of these ideas in, in English in terms of what we had already mentioned of what we can be bringing to the text. But when you look at the scriptures, there's a lot of different ways to look at it as well. There's a lot of different examples. You have these passages that describe God as peace, so it's an attribute of God. You have ones where it's you are to live in peace with others around you, or you talk about a absence of war, for instance, with Israel and the neighboring uh, communities or countries. You can have peace, again, in this wholeness or this tranquility type of mindset as well, uh, a completeness that you see in the scriptures. And for different seasons, I think that as we're going through various passages, we can settle on that understanding of that term for a while to where when we hear the term peace, our mind goes to that understanding. You know, and, and that's perfectly natural and what we do oftentimes. But the terms that we study a lot of times have such a great depth to them. Um, so when we come into an Advent Sunday, we want to acknowledge and recognize that our minds are probably already geared to understanding how Christ brings us peace. So we're entering into the text understanding that. But even from that understanding, we want to take in all of the others as well to help well-round our understanding. So knowing that we're going to be working towards that Advent mindset, where we're not assuming it, but rather we're going to try to see that in Scripture today, we're going to begin with some Old Testament understandings. As I read this week, one author put the understanding of peace as it's used in the Torah in this way. He said, peace is a state of positive friendship and security between parties, oftentimes the result of restitution and reconciliation. So within the Old Testament, a major component that you want to hold on to in your understanding is that there's a strong sense of restitution when peace is being talked about. Again, this was primarily in the first five books of the Bible and the Torah that he was covering. So an essential ingredient for peace then, and this is his wording, so it is a payment of recompense of the wrongs that were committed in order to achieve reconciliation. Now, there's a lot of big words in there. But you see this being lived out throughout the sacrificial system that God presents to the Israelites. You see where peace is made through God, or with God, through sacrifice in order to atone for their wrongdoings. And then the Israelites would maintain that peace through obedience. You know, you, just, you think about the times where maybe you screw up, whether it's with a spouse, whether it's with a coworker. Um, and there's a season where there's tension, there's conflict, there's not peace. And you need to make amends. You need to admit for your wrongdoings. You need to have some form of restitution um, in order to bring and restore back that peace. So with 
so we understand how the sacrificial system, as it's being described in the Bible, deals with the problem of sin, deals with the issue of wrongdoing, because sin robs that peace with God. So as we begin to understand and expand our understanding a little bit, I would like to start today in Leviticus 26. Now, I will have verses up on the slides today, um, but if you would like a workout and want to kind of go through the Bible with me, feel free. There'll be a, a, a rapid fire session near the end where I'll just have them up on the screen. But I'll try to give people enough time to move throughout the Bible with, with me. So in Leviticus 26, um, you know, we're going to start there, but you can also write down in your bulletins Leviticus 7. I'm not going to cover that today, but this, that's the chapter that deals with explaining peace offerings. So in the sacrificial system, that's the regulations and things like that. So Leviticus 7 for your information there. But in Leviticus 26, I'm going to begin in verse 3. Thank you. It says, If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season, and the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time of sowing. And you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land securely. I will give you peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will remove harmful beasts from the land, and the sword shall not go through your land. So as you look at that passage, what is a principle that you would focus on in that passage? I want you just to kind of think about that for a moment. As we add another passage to this, go ahead and turn over to the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 6. You know, Brett had recently gone over this passage in Sunday school. He also read over it in a benediction recently. But in Numbers 6, beginning in verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So this is a prayer of blessing from Aaron. And it shows that peace is from God. You know, the peace from God is linked to blessing, to preservation, to protection, and or his grace. You know, how often are we just kind of going through our life and having an expectation that peace should just be there? That we should just always have peace because we're Christians. You know, people shouldn't annoy us. We should have comfort, zero conflict. You know, when we look at these two passages, what we want to understand is that peace comes from God. It's not automatically assumed. It's not our right. It's not our liberty. It's a gift from God. And we have to understand that. We have to remember that. Um, you know, and when we look at these passages, it also seems that peace is tied to obedience. Now, I have to say it because our minds tend to go there. Obedience in this, this form is not a work in order to save us. 
it is it is not an automatic thing to where it's related to karma. Like, because I'm obedient, then I get this, right? I mean, you can look to all kinds of different individuals within the Bible. You look to the prophets, you look to Job, you look to other people who did not necessarily know peace in the way that we would understand it during their time. They went to exile, they had wars, they were chased down by kings, um, they lost everything, but yet they still knew God as peace. So again, obedience doesn't necessarily automatically bring peace, but it's there to help maintain peace. You see, um, what it, both of these passages should tell us is that sin is a disobedience from God. And we should not expect peace if we're living in sin. Now, primarily, I would use examples of, you know, big, blatant, rampant sins that are in a person's life. And of course, you know, murder, yeah, they shouldn't have peace, right? But I think even in the little sins, as believers, you feel that conviction. You feel that tug on your heart to understand that when you are breaking God's law, when you're breaking his commands, you have an issue of no peace going on in your life. You feel that conviction. You feel that guilt from the Spirit to show that lack of peace, but how often do we still blatantly live in sin and yet expect God's blessings and peace to be a part of our lives? Sin separates us from the Father. You know, in both of these passages, it's more of that national instruction. But as I had mentioned, there's plenty of individual applications within the passages of the Bible, whether it's the prophets, whether it's people like Job, whether it's David. And you can look at David's life. You can look at those times where he is after God's heart. You can look at those times where he is sinful. And you can see the lack of peace that might be there. You know, even through all of those times of exiles or sojourning, there were faithful people that knew who God was as peace. So overall, what we want to see is how peace is from God because he is the author of peace. So with that understanding, with him as the author... Um, you know, and that's, that's generally how we want to view and understand this restitution and the reconciliation. We want to go deeper into this idea and this belief that surrounds how peace needs to be viewing with peace with God first and foremost. As you're right with God, you can have peace. A couple of passages for this. In Psalm 4, verse 8, in peace... I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And Isaiah 26, verse three. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Now the opposite of this would be found in Isaiah 48 where he says, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. You know, through our understanding of, of peace with God in this light, one of the first things that we have to address then is sin. We have to look at our own sin. You know, oftentimes when I'm counseling with people, I often talk about, uh, you know, issues concerning their walk. What does their walk like look like? Are there areas of sin that you are just harboring, that you are just walking in without any regard? What does your obedience look like? You know, whether or not they understand that sin has tangible consequences for us here and now, Sin is a transgression against God. It is a separation against him. God, who is peace. You know, so if we are walking around in sin, it should be apparent then 
that we should not be experiencing those types of levels of peace. Oftentimes, this can manifest into a, a plaguing of our mind where we're just, uh, just racked with guilt, for instance. Or we're, we have this heaviness that can lead to anger, that can lead to frustration. See, lack of peace can come out in our relationships. You know, when we have others that we have conflicts with, when we have things that we're walking through that where we are sinful, we should understand that there should be a lack of peace. We have to have a humble view of the fact that we're sinners in need of a savior, that we need forgiveness in order to be made right with God, to experience his peace. You know, when we have a relationship of restitution, of reconciliation, we can see how this, again, was seen throughout the Old Testament with the sacrificial systems. Uh, In the times of the prophets and the kings, in the exiles, judgment would happen because of sin. Peace came from God, and that peace carries over into the New Testament a type of understanding, and it's important for us to understand the restitution, the reconciliation piece from the Old Testament as we understand what's accomplished by Christ. So again, as we're celebrating the birth of our Savior in this season, he is known as the Prince of Peace. There are several cut and dry verses that we want to look at today. And we're going to start in Romans chapter 5, if you want to flip over there. But these types of verses link him to peace. They link him to reconciliation. And it helps with our understanding of how peace comes from God. So in Romans chapter 5, simply reading verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, even as we celebrate his coming, we look to what he has done and we look to what his coming was to bring us, that through his death and resurrection, we have peace with God. We being those who are in Christ, those who believe God is the author of peace, but he is also the agent of peace as he sends Jesus to be the recompense to win peace for us. Next, we'll turn over to Colossians chapter one. We just studied over this book, so this should be a, a quick reminder for us since I know we've got it all memorized and down, right? But in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, it says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on the earth or in the earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now you can kind of Leave a bookmark there in Colossians if you want, but turn back a couple of books to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. You know, and there, there are a dozen other examples that talk about the same thing, how Jesus brings reconciliation. Now those verses might not specifically mention peace, but we have to understand how that's tied together. Again, with the restitution, the atoning, uh, price that Jesus pays brings us reconciliation, thus peace with God. So again, there's so many other verses that describe this about Jesus. But again, with our understanding, we want to see how peace is made for us by the blood of Christ. Um, you know, God sends Jesus into the world in order to be a sacrifice to pay for the sins of the world to where he would be that restitution between us and God. And the purpose of celebrating Jesus as peace during the Passover this season is because of that. We want to grow in our understanding of that. You know, so that when we're coming to this Advent season where we're celebrating peace, we're celebrating his coming birth, you know, we can look to something like a newborn baby and we can hold a newborn baby and think about how peaceful that baby is. You know, when we understand peace in our lives when it comes to Christ when we understand his entire life and what he has done for us, it is moving. You know, how does peace impact us? How is our understanding of the gospel message changed our understanding of peace? Again, I will always reiterate, when we're talking about peace, it's peace with God first and foremost. And that understanding needs to shape us. It needs to understand our understanding, or it needs to shape our understanding of peace in terms of how we view it in our daily lives, in terms of how we appropriate that to our, our conflicts, to our relationships with others. And, and through the Bible then we wanna look at, as we understand that God is the author of peace, that he is the agent of peace by sending his son, he is also the advocate of peace. Tried pretty hard to make sure that it was an alliterative type of thing for us today. But you know, he sends his advocate in the form of the Holy Spirit to help peace be sustained in our lives. It's something that he champions and wants us to have in the forefront of our minds in terms of our peace with him and how we live that out with those around us. Do we live in a peaceful or a hostile type of environment? You know, God desires for us to have peace in our lives. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, in a couple of places, in, verse, in chapter 16, verse 33, he says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And then in chapter 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You know, in this world, we will definitely have tumultuous times. 
We'll have times where peace is definitely tested. We're going to have conflicts. We're going to have troubles. We're going to have anxieties. But as those seasons come up, we are not to fear. We're not to be bothered by them because we have the peace of Christ within us. A peace that was won by his death and resurrection. Flip back to the book of Colossians. Again, in terms of being an advocate for peace or wanting us to maintain that peace and live in that peace, in the book of Colossians chapter 3, in verse 15, it says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were once called, or were called in one body, and be thankful. So we also see within that verse this idea of thanksgiving continuing to be abound, you know. And obviously, as we read verses like this, to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, it's easier said than done. I get that. I think that we can all understand that. But that's not to be an excuse to just throw up our hands and be done with it. But rather to dig deeper and to lean in more, you know, as he changes our heart, as he changes our minds to be more like Christ, we obey the scripture. And as we're doing those types of things, it does get easier. You know, as you're going through the trials, as you're going through the hardships, you read some of these passages that might seem like an easy believism type of thing. And you might just discount it because it's, yeah, okay, it's just a platitude. No, this is the word of God. It is the truth. And as we're, not, as we're going through hostile times, as we're going through conflict, it's probably the hardest thing in the world to hear all of these verses on peace or forgiveness or things like that. Even though we know it's the truth, we don't always want to live that way. But God is our advocate in that he is, he is trying to help us understand and obey his truth to live peaceably with alls, to allow the, the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts. You know, it's within this type of attitude and a heart where peace continues this cry of thanksgiving to God for who he is and what he has done. And in this instance, it's through the person of Jesus. You know, Paul frequently talks about how right doctrine produces right ethics, Whereas when we're obeying the word of God, we're living in the right way. So when we're understanding peace and what it means and what the Bible says about peace, where we have that right doctrine, then it should produce a right living. But we're living in a peaceful manner. We're not having a ton of conflicts around us because we're allowing the peace of Christ to, to guide our lives, to be in control. Um, you know, there's so many verses that call on a believer to make the effort to live in peace, but also to live in obedience in order to maintain that peace. And I'm just going to share a few of those with us today. And again, at this point, it might just be better to write some of these down um, in terms of references, and you can go back and study those in terms of the context later. But I'm going to start with Hebrews 12. Verse 14, where the author says, strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without, without which no one will see the Lord. So he's calling for us to strive for peace. Ephesians 4, 
verse 1 through 3. It says, I therefore, a prisoner, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. First Peter 3, verses 10 through 12. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. James 3, 17 and 18. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Larger one in Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellent, if there excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and what you have received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You know, as I did this word study this week, there are well over 300 references to the term peace in the Bible. I didn't read every single one, but I read quite a few of them. Um, and I've only shared a few of the passages today. But my hope is to encourage us about these things through these readings, seeing how God is the author and the agent of peace. The one that stuck out to me this week was First Peter 3 in terms of how often am I seeking peace and pursuing it. You know, when you think about what we seek and pursue, especially during this season, you know, when we're in church, we can have the Sunday school answers. But do we seek peace and his purposes in our workplaces, in our families, in our communities? What is it that we're pursuing? You know, how does... How does this charge impact my understanding of peace and how it comes from God, how it was won by Jesus. You know, am I only seeking Jesus in those areas that benefit me the most? Or am I seeking him in all areas of my life? You know, it can be a battle at times in our own hearts and minds to want to pursue peace rather than maybe getting even or revenge, something like that. Now today I want to leave us with an angelic praise from Luke 2. Here it is, the angels that are saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. That's the ESV's version. 
You know, only once before in the book of Isaiah has a human heard the angelic praises like this. But here it is explaining the benefits of Jesus' birth. You know, as we have the understanding of peace, we see that the angels first are giving glory to God in the highest, where he has revealed his glory by sending his son. And the effect of Jesus coming to the earth is peace for all of mankind. Now I want to kind of bypass some of the debate, what goes on with the second half of this verse and what all of that means. But what we want to take away from what the angels are saying and what they're meaning here is that peace would come through Jesus for all people. We have to understand that. That peace comes through Jesus. Peace with God first and foremost. Peace between God and man are fulfilled, is fulfilled and accomplished by what Jesus does. And the angels are speaking objectively to that peace that it would be one for the whole earth and it's intended for all men. It's a peace that we celebrate in our salvation. It's one that we especially focus on during the Advent season, but it should be a part of our everyday life to understand the peace that has been won for us by Jesus, where we praise him for that peace that we have with God as we look expectantly for his second coming. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to win peace for us. Through his death, through his resurrection, Lord, you have brought us peace as we were hostile, as we were enemies before you because of our sin. And Lord, you call for us to obey your word in order to maintain that peace. And I pray that you would help us to understand and have convictions where needed in our life where we're falling short in those areas. Help us to see those times where we have pride or we have selfishness that is creeping in. Where we have sin that is separating our understanding from you and going back to the old ways. Lord, you have given us your spirit to to guide us, to give us the truth and help us to understand. So I pray that you would help us in our hearts and mentalities to understand your peace. Help us to be um, joyous and thankful for that. Help us to recognize the effect that this has in our relationships, in our homes. Lord, to where we can promote peace because of what your son has done. Help us this week to apply this to our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.